My mom continued to color her hair until a few weeks before she died. My sister had arranged her stylist to come to the hospital because, well, visitors. The only reason it eventually stopped happening was because she was too sick to have it done any longer. I would sometimes dye her roots for her in between appointments, and I always laughingly asked her how long she planned on doing it for. Her answer was always the same, until I can't. I'm Jenny B, and this is It Actually. This is it. Actually, take a sip and grab a seat, cause this is it. It was funny as an adult to discover that my mom was vain and worried about her changing body. To me, she was always the same. Isn't that how it works with adults? As a kid, all the primping and plucking and prepping she did, the ugging and the groaning when something didn't fit right, and the words I overheard her saying about her body were just normal. She was never over the top, she didn't wear super fancy things, and she didn't have a face full of makeup. She didn't accentuate any features really overtly, so it never occurred to me that she even cared all that much. She was just my mom. But when we'd have to run out to the grocery store or to the bank and I'd find her lining her lips or filling in her brows or throwing on a different outfit, I always wondered why she would bother. She was married to dad, she knew everyone in town, who did she have to impress? It's only now that I get it. It was never about impressing someone else. It was about feeling good, feeling attractive, feeling comfortable in her body. I think we all mostly start off in life free of insecurity. Then we pick up little things to obsess about and ultimately loathe along the way. And it's usually because someone has said something. I remember coming out of a change room once to show my friend the cute skirt I wanted to buy. She was like, yeah, cute. Hey, I never knew your knees curved in like that. Oh, really? Because I never knew they did either until right this very second. It was the same thing with the dark hair on my arms, my small boobs, my crooked nose, my big toe, and my bony elbows. I didn't know any of those things were things worth thinking about. Now, I will admit that it went the other way as well with things that were complimented. Once I heard that I had a quote-unquote good bum, whatever that means, don't think I didn't also obsess slash throw out any long sweater or unflattering pair of jeans that didn't work with my new best feature. I think it's pretty standard that high school is the place where all of our insecurities come rushing to the forefront. I wasn't strutting myself around the halls of GBSS, but I also didn't really overthink the things I wanted to do in terms of my particular beauty standard, which wasn't really a thing. I shaved my hair and stained my mouth crimson red, sometimes purple. I wore big baggy clothes to hide my stick-straight body, and I desperately wanted Rusty Winters to think I was cute. He never did, but I certainly wasn't going out of my way really to make that happen. I was pretty secure with my crooked teeth, the bump on my deviated septum, my flat chest, and my rockin' ass. (laughs) It wasn't rockin', but I tell ya, one person says something once. My mom was a victim to her scale. My dad even went so far as to make a platform on wheels so she could roll it in and out of her closet without much effort, which is pretty funny in retrospect. He drew his famous signature smoking guy in big black sharpie marker with a speech bubble that said, "Looking good, kid. Mom would always roll her eyes and usually scoff at the number on the scale. She probably didn't think I noticed, but I did. We didn't talk about healthy body weights or really bodies at all, but I suspect she spent a lot of her life not being happy with her frame, and that is a giant lesson to me to pass on to my girls. Body acceptance and love, what a concept. Now, I can say she sure liked her legs. If we heard the story once, we heard it a few times. She and my dad both worked at Zeller's, he was a manager, and she worked in shoes, and apparently he saw her legs going up the escalator and asked his co-worker who they belonged to. 
Not really the most PC love story ever told, but her legs became her thing after that. Speaking of legs, I started going to camp when I was around 10 or 11 years old. It was a church camp, but not in a really strong Bible-thumping kind of way, more in a God-is-good-thank-you-for-this-food kind of way. The first year was exactly what camp should be. It was old bunk beds and cabins and sitting around a campfire at night singing songs and ghost stories and making friends that you thought would last forever, but really only lasted for as long as you went to camp. Like a lot of kids, camp was where I had my first real older crush. He was a counselor, obviously, and he was dating another counselor, but he was the dreamiest, sportiest, funniest, most feather-haired boy I'd ever seen. His name was Donnie Skinner, and I was going to marry him. As I got older, camp started to take on a different meaning. It was less about the games, although I still loved them, and more about the other campers, the counselors, and all of the relationships. I started thinking about the outfits I would wear, how I could keep my hair looking good, but also like I made no effort, and how I could sneak a black eyeliner into my suitcase without mom seeing. One big concern I had was my legs. Up until grade 7, my mom would not let me shave them, even though they were really hairy. About a week before camp, I decided to bring my sister into the conversation. They both listened, my mom with a very disdained look on her face, but she must have seen the desperation in my eyes because she told my sister to pack me a razor and show me how to use it before I left. What boggles my mind now is why didn't we just shave my legs? Like, hello, that would have made so much sense. But instead, my sister showed me the motion you make from ankles up to shave your legs with the cap on the blade. It all seemed fairly simple. Start at the bottom, straight line up, over and over. Don't go past your knee. So, fast forward to the final day of camp. It was banquet night. I had packed a sweet little yellow flowered skirt that was short in the front and mermaided down in the back. I had a thin white t-shirt that I knew was just the thing to get Donnie Skinner to see me in a different light. I got into the shower, threw a little bar of soap on my legs, you know, to make them good and slick, and started doing exactly what my sister had shown me to do. Watching the tufts of feathery black hair fall away from my leg down the shower drain was way more satisfying than I ever could have imagined. When I got out of the shower and wrapped a towel around my head, my cousin looked down at my legs in sheer horror. I decided to misinterpret her face as shock and awe, so I was like, I know, pretty good, right? But her face was telling a very different story than how I was feeling. I looked down to see what she saw. Thin streams of blood pouring from my legs, pooling into the water droplets on my feet. My lower half was basically a crime scene. At that exact moment, Donnie's girlfriend walked in, and when she could have gasped, she simply said, I know exactly what to do. Of course she did. We ripped off about 35 teeny tiny pieces of toilet paper and stuck them to the individual cuts. Little white spots on my legs that were no longer tanned but very raw looking. We spent so much time on my ripped up legs that I didn't have time to blow dry my hair, so I left the cabin in my pretty little flower skirt with sopping wet hair, leaving a trail of blood-dotted toilet paper specks behind me. Shaving, waxing, threading, lasering. I've tried it all. I know it's perfectly fine for me to have hairy arms and legs and a hairy bush if I so choose, but I tend to feel better in my body when the forest is a little more trimmed and tamed. Right around the time that Sex in the City was tackling the subject of hair down there, I had been talking to some friends at work about bikini waxing. My boyfriend was coming home after having been away for six weeks, so I was thinking of taking my grooming up a notch. I was told by a co-worker to go to the new waxing salon across the street and ask for a Brazilian. She assured me that it was the same as a high bikini and it would just be an extra cleanup around the edges and that would be that. 
It's a pretty uncomfortable and awkward state to be in lying on a small table with just a hand towel covering your private parts, but I decided to lean in and remind myself that I was not the first person to ever get this done. When the waxologist, or scary lady with scalding hot popsicle sticks, as I later referred to her, walked in, she immediately ripped off my teeny tiny towel and told me to put the bottoms of my feet together and let my legs fall open to the sides. So much for niceties and formalities. It's a very vulnerable place to be, legs akimbo and bums being exposed in a way that feels a little strange considering the setting, but there I was just sort of letting it happen. It was going by fairly quickly, and before I even had a chance to weigh in on pain levels or hairstyles, she stole the last patch. That's right, she made me bald. And listen, I'm not saying I'm opposed to any of it, but a little warning might have been nice. When I was 18 years old, my mom agreed to take me into the city to talk to a plastic surgeon about getting a nose job. We weren't allowed to tell my dad because it was his nose that I was trying to fix, not his actual nose, but his nose that resided on my face, and I think her intention was to get me in there in hopes that I would ultimately change my mind. Moms definitely know stuff. The whole thing was very similar to scenes we've watched in movies and TV shows. The doctor was straightforward and gruff and took a magic marker to my face. It was pretty intimidating, but the real clincher was when he started suggesting that he build up my chin because although my nose was too big, my chin was much too small. What? I thought my chin was perfectly cute and fine. Plastic surgeon one, self-esteem zero. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could look in the mirror and smile, like truly actually feel joy with what we see staring back at us? I think I started to feel real body angst in my 30s, which is late for a lot of people, but I was pretty blissfully unaware in my 20s because, let's face it, I never really experienced big body changes. I never really grew boobs, my weight didn't fluctuate, I never broke any body parts. So when I arrived in my 30s and stuff started to happen, it's like it all kind of caught up to me. I saw things shifting, lines forming. What was once a unique and charming half-mouthful of twisted-up teeth suddenly looked like an eyesore and made me feel very self-conscious. And having anxiety didn't help. It probably caused those forming lines. So I did what every panicked aging woman would do. I fought my body. I fixed my teeth. I fixed my nose. I started using anti-everything creams, and I was way less adventurous with my haircuts. I was fighting against my body changing by the skin of my newly straightened teeth. But now, here I am in my 40s, and as expected, I've seen a lot more changes. That non-fluctuating weight I talked about, yeah, that caught up to me. The gray hair on my head has quadrupled in the last couple of years, probably again in the last couple of months, and weird body function mishaps that may, at one point, have been hilarious are suddenly not so funny. But there are other changes happening in my body, too. I grew a maternal instinct that I never thought I'd have. My heart gives and receives love in big doses. My brain has expanded, maybe not in a scholarly way, but in more of an empathy and understanding way. My voice has learned to say things that I never would have said before. My hands have become better at typing so the words can flow a little more freely onto the paper. These are not the normal things we think of when referring to our bodies, but they are part of the bigger body picture and they deserve to be recognized. And the thing is, and you know this, our body quirks and concerns almost always end up being the thing that other people love. After I fixed my nose, I really did have a deviated septum, by the way, all of a sudden, all the people were like, "Oh, I loved your nose. Really? Because the teasing, name-calling, and unflattering celebrity comparisons would have suggested otherwise. 
But now I have a friend who recently admitted to me that she was thinking of changing her nose and I was all like, oh no, I love your nose. And I really do. And this isn't to say that if you've got body stuff and you want to change it, that you shouldn't. But sometimes a little outside perspective can go a long way. One day my youngest daughter was laying her head on my tummy and she started rubbing the inside of my thigh. She said, mama, this is my favorite part of you. I laughed and said, okay, why? She said, because it's squishy, like a pillow. I felt instant shame, and then I laughed. Then I looked at her all cozy on my squishy parts and felt so happy that she was there and I was here and my body was the perfect pillow for her to feel safe on. Longtime listener, first time caller, puberty was not kind to me. I'm sure everyone feels the same way, but I feel like I could have been the poster child for a PSA campaign entitled When Puberty Attacks. I had braces, but I was stuck wearing that post-apocalyptic Mad Max headgear that looked like the orthodontist just welded the chassis of a Ford Taurus together and threw it on top of my head. And I ended up having to every three seconds or else I'd be drooling like a rabid dog. I was also freakishly skinny, which just made the proportions of my headgear all the more alarming, as well as amplifying my bony knobby knees, which ended up looking more like decorative doorknobs you'd see on a hobbit's home rather than functional body parts. My back was pretty much a topographical map of the Rocky Mountains thanks to the back knee. I had this dark, thick, lush, peach fuzz mustache that in the right light, I looked more like a shady criminal from a gritty 70s crime movie rather than a 14-year-old boy. And my nipples in the area around my nipples were swelling like I had breasts. Did not like my body. Refused to take my shirt off, hated wearing shorts, could not make eye contact with people. But the point is, all of this kind of changed when my dad, who was in the Air Force, got posted to a military base in Germany. Just outside of our town in Germany was a quarry and had the most popular beach. And this beach was a hybrid public beach, nude beach. So you could be sitting there enjoying your day and right beside you was a German family, naked as a day they were born. But you could always tell who the Canadians were. The Canadians were like me wearing multiple t-shirts, hiding under towels and blankets, refusing to make eye contact with everyone. Meanwhile, the Germans were playing nude volleyball, not as flattering as you think. But I kept on going back to that beach. I was drawn to that beach for two reasons. One, I was a teenage boy and it was Boobtopia. Two, it was their confidence. There was something about their confidence and just being so comfortable in their damn skin, regardless of their gender, age, or body type. And the more I went to that beach, the more that confidence wore off on me to the point where I started being fine with my shortcomings, the things that I didn't like I started embracing. And I ended up loving my body and I've taken that with me all throughout the rest of my life. Even now with my bony ass shoulders, my deflated yet lopsided nipples, I've got wall-to-wall shag natural carpeting thanks to my Italian jeans, but I don't care. I love my body. And I now work in the fitness industry and I try to teach this to people all the time. Fitness isn't about changing your body. It's about learning to love your body. It's about loving the way it moves, loving the way it makes you feel, loving what you perceive as your shortcomings because that's probably someone else's envy. The amount of women that I've talked to who hate their curves is on par with the amount of women coming in wishing they had curves. The amount of men that come in looking to put on mass is about on par with the amount of men who want to lose mass. We always want what we don't have instead of doubling down on what we've been given. And if you just double down on what you have, and you just let it blossom and grow into what it's meant to be, you will exude so much crazy confidence, you will become unstoppable. So that's the moral of this story. Double down on who you are. Thank you for attending my TED Talk. When I was 14 years old, 
I got three surgeries on my left knee. I was a competitive dancer at the time, and I remember when the doctor showed me the x-ray where I had a piece of bone sticking out from my knee that I'd broken off from it. My mom turned to me and said, you know, you can't dance anymore with this. And I knew that that was to her delight as well because she always wanted me to focus on school more than dance. And this broke me. I remember feeling so defeated and I felt like my body was failing me. And I really thought dance was over for me. But it turns out that that very injury was the thing that propelled me forward as a dancer. Once I had the three surgeries and I was stuck in this cast, I still showed up to dance classes and it actually pushed me to work harder than ever. Especially being at that age, being a teenager with lots going on in my life, I felt like I had to prove my mother wrong. And that fire in me that was really built up from the injury itself actually made me work harder at my craft. I look back on that time and I don't know if I would have worked that hard at dance if I didn't have something like that happen, if I didn't feel like I needed to prove myself or if I didn't have an injury that I needed to bounce back from. And so it turns out then, a year later, I transferred to a much more competitive studio and from there I really started thinking seriously about dancing professionally. And that wasn't part of my mother's plan because she always wanted me to follow in the footsteps of my father, become a doctor. I'm a first generation Chinese Canadian, so it was always a challenge with her trying to pursue my passion and really go after the thing that I love. But I really believe that having that moment where my body felt like it was failing me was actually the very thing that pushed me forward and allowed me to conquer my dreams. I'm so grateful looking back on that injury because I can see how everything happens for a reason. And even the times where you feel like you're struggling, the moments where you feel like nothing's going right, they're usually building you up for something else if you choose to see it that way. They're often openings into the exact things that we want and our manifestations. So if you're listening to this story and you're maybe going through something, whether it's an injury, whether it's a breakup, or if life just feels hard, just keep going. Keep doing the things that you love, no matter what people tell you. Because I was a girl that was told that I would never be able to dance again. And 10 years later, I ended up dancing for Janet Jackson on a world tour. Things are so possible if we decide that we want to do it. If we have the willpower, the heart, and the courage to go after things, even though there may be obstacles in our way. My obstacles were my body, my own mother not approving of what I wanted to do. But it's realizing that those quote-unquote obstacles are just tests, and we are here to conquer them, to move through them, and to achieve our dreams. So, like with everything in life, it's kind of good and kind of bad, my relationship with my body, but it's different than other people because of the wrestling I do, which is obviously not a normal thing to do. The good thing about it is that I have some level of disconnection from my body in the sense that my body is part of my wrestling character and how they look and how they move. So there's some kind of like disconnection from my body where I kind of created this thing. Even as a kid, you create it on a video game. You would make yourself as a wrestler and say, I would like to look like that. And then you would make that thing. So there's a certain aspect of it where it's like, it's just a thing I made. It's not my body. However, the really bad thing is that it is my body, ultimately. And we forget that sometimes. So there's a great high 
when you're enjoying how you look and there's this big presentation of you that you get to create. You get to pick your own theme song and say, this is the outfit I'm going to wear. Let me just clarify, when I wrestle, I wear basically, you know, trunks. It's really tight. There's a lot there, as much as I could probably legally show in a public setting, is available. So there is some level of freedom there where it's like, well, this is who I am. I hope you all like it. And certainly there's things I I do that I wouldn't do in normal situations, like shave and fake tan and oil my body and do push-ups and make sure everything is in the right place before you go out there, which is great. The worst part and the ultimate reminder that I am connected to my body is that when I wrestle, these shows are not set up to highlight just me. Sometimes they are in gyms and legion halls with dingy house lighting. There's a show in Barrie in a church gymnasium. Go figure that out. And you're doing these shows, and there's people taking pictures of you and video of you, and then immediately after, they post them online. So I will go to the back after the match, grab my phone, and immediately start untagging myself from these pictures and videos that these people put up because that's not what I look like to me. I want to look like what I look like to me. I don't know what they, they're not using the right lighting. My body is in motion. They don't have a good camera. So yeah, with my body, there are tremendous highs and there are tremendous lows that have caused me to search through uh, many, many years of tagged Facebook pictures and say, that's not what I look like at all. And then I'll untag myself and go back to playing my real-life video game. Born two days before Christmas, I was always the youngest kid in my class, which was fine until puberty hit. It was grade 7, and it seemed all the girls in my class had started to grow little breasts, and I was still flat as a board and totally bald down there. I mentioned the lack of pubic hair because I was a child of the 70s, and bushes were in. The bigger the better. This was definitely not an era where I ever heard the words, bald is beautiful. And the girls of my class would tease other girls who hadn't yet started to grow pubic hair. These girls were called Kojak after the bald as a ping pong ball lead character in the popular crime TV show of the time. Little did the lead actor Tali Savalas know that his bald head was a sign of shame to a bunch of 13-year-old girls living in Toronto. To make matters worse, camp was fast approaching. And this was a time when kids showered together in one big room with no privacy. I was dreading it. I was panicking. And so I took matters into my own little hands, grabbed my jet black cat Zorro, cut a big patch of his fur off and placed it tenderly into a plastic bag with some Elmer's glue. I was set. Shower time came. I snuck into the bathroom with my bag of Zorro fur and glued it strategically into place. I then walked confidently out into the shower room and stood in front of the shower. Of course, I couldn't turn around because my hair would wash off. I also must have been a sight to behold as I had white blonde hair and a jet black, very straight haired little bush. But I wasn't called Kojak and Zorro grew his bald patch back. This summer I was on national television in a little leopard speedo 
as part of the pit crew on Canada's Drag Race. And if you've never seen the show, the pit crew are these extremely muscular guys who help the drag queens finish challenges. And I don't look like that. I actually have a pretty normal body that I think a lot of guys can relate to. And because I don't look like what the pit crew guys usually look like, when the episode came out, a lot of people online made sure to remind me of that. And there were overwhelming amount of comments of a lot of negativity of people saying, you don't belong up there and you shouldn't be up there. I remember I kept watching the episode and all I could see was so much joy in my smile and there wasn't any part of me that felt like I didn't belong up there. I felt really empowered and I looked like I owned that space that was up there. That whole experience taught me so much about these kind of like expectations or these boxes that people want to force you into based on what you look like. And I think it's really, really incredible to push against that. When I think about my younger self, I think like a lot of guys used to feel really embarrassed to just even take their shirt off in public or if there was like a pool party, I would have this immediate anxiety attack right before because it would be like, oh my God, people are going to see you shirtless. To now, you know, as an adult, to be comfortable and confident enough to be oiled up in a little leopard speedo on national television for everyone in Canada to watch, I think it was just a testimony to we shouldn't ever let that get in the way of us doing the things that make us happy. In the midst of a really crazy year, this was definitely the cherry on top. This is a tip, actually. Okay, you're going to hate this, but I want you to try and do it anyway. Mark Groves, human connection specialist, once challenged me to strip everything off and get in love with myself. That doesn't sound like what it actually was. So I had to do three things and I'm going to challenge you to do the same. Number one, take it all off. Your makeup, your hair stuff, your favorite hat that covers your receding hairline, the padded bra, the sunglasses, any security blanket that you know is a bit of a crutch when it comes to your body, take it off. Number two, take a selfie, just like that. And if you're really brave, post it and tag me. Number three, stand in front of the mirror and say nice things to your body parts. Start at the top, work your way down. It's actually surprising how it gets easier once you start. Thank you to my wonderful people, RJ, Michelle, Rob, Mina, and Mel for their fantastic stories. They were some of my absolute favorites, and I pretty much always love them all. Today's stories marked 135 stories told since April, and the podcast has almost reached 10,000 listens. So yeah, that blows my mind, and I am eternally grateful for everyone's words. One more thing, my first run of merch almost completely sold out. I know, it's nuts. I'm really thankful and I'm so excited that you guys like what I'm making. The next run is going to be up really soon, like hopefully within the week. So if you sign up for my newsletter at thisisitactually.com, bottom of the page, you'll get a special VIP email with a password that will allow you to shop for 24 hours before I open the store back up to the rest of the world. Well, the rest of my world anyway. There are some fun new items and I also have one more giveaway happening before the end of the year with my good friend Heather. She runs Blueberry Moon Yoga and it's the perfect cozy holiday prize pack. So keep an eye out for that. If you have an idea for an episode or know someone who would be a great guest, let me know.
You can send your stories and ideas and just general good words to thisisitactually at gmail.com. And you can also see stuff and follow along on Instagram at thisisitactually. Message me cool stuff, but not dumb or rude stuff, because obviously. Thanks for listening. Now go say something nice to someone. This is it, actually. Take a sip and grab a seat, because this is it.